The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hi, Joni. We're back. I know. We're back again, you know, because we have to do these extra ones. Oh, and by the way, I found out I'm missing three weeks, so we have to do another extra one. Oh, good. <laughs> so because we're doing these extra ones, I get to see you more often, which is just fine. Which is very nice. Um, do, our, do our listeners know why we're doing these extra ones? Um, you know, they probably don't. Um, we're doing extra ones. Uh, Jason's going to have a little bit of time off, but it's mostly me because my older son is welcoming twins That's in July. Very cool. And unfortunately, my daughter-in-law's mother passed away from cancer a few years ago. So I'm the only mom. And so I'm going to go out there and... Do mom things. Do mom things. I cook <laughs> things. I We shouldn't go down this road, but there, there's something called lactation cookies. <laughs> okay. I think we've taken a weird turn here. <laughs> we've taken a really weird turn. And she asked me to make some. So I figured I might make those before I go and I'll just carry okay, them Okay, now with I me. have questions. What is a lactation cookie? <laughs> it's a cookie that helps a new mom create more milk. Gotcha. And like one of the things in it is brewer's yeast. Okay. And my guess is that brewer's yeast, which I think is B vitamins, is it probably just helps the body produce produce milk okay and so <laughs> okay well, we've opened up this podcast <laughs> talking about breastfeeding i think this is a good start in the right direction i don't know we won't go there any further okay anyway so two blogs that got written this week and one uh, of the ones and i went in to look at them because um i wanted to get a little bit ahead of the game before you came and the first one you were talking about was methamphetamine and my first question unless you want to say something else about it as we get into it, sure. is what's the difference between an amphetamine, like speed, mm -hmm. and methamphetamine? So amphetamines are a group of drugs that are stimulants. Right. They're, they're, they're speed. They're psychostimulants. They speed the whole system up. They increase energy, heart rate, all those things that happen when the body gets sped up. Now, methamphetamine is just another form of amphetamine. But it's worse, isn't it? It's, it's not as worse. They're both bad. It's stronger. Okay. And so methamphetamine is a drug that has been around for an extremely long time. It's actually something that Hitler was addicted to. And a lot of Hitler's really famous, you know, crowd epic speeches that he gave way back in World War II actually were fueled by methamphetamine. It was something that the Nazis created so that the soldiers could keep fighting and fighting and fighting and need really minimal rest and keep going and going and going and going. He wanted to create some sort of autonomous army that could just like fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And so his chemist came up with um, a way to tweak amphetamine and add what's called a methyl group, which is a CH3 group in chemistry, and that created methamphetamine. And it just makes it stronger. It just changes the drug's properties. And so back after World War II, methamphetamine wasn't used very much. It just kind of died off. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, back in the, you know, the 80s and early 90s, it was one of those drugs that was kind of like, you know, sequestered over into like the Western United States. Like when you heard of meth, it was always like California. Um, and then a few years later, it ended up in the Midwest and you'd hear of like trailer parks exploding because... And that was crystal meth. That's crystal meth. Okay. Now what happens is all meth is created in a clandestine lab. It's right. all created in these little shifty labs that are like kind of off the beaten path. A lot of times they're in homes or in trunks of cars because they can become mobile. Um, and then a lot of times they're in the woods and stuff like that because it's a highly volatile chemical process to create meth. Hmm. And so that's why you hear the stories of like houses blowing up or cars blowing up. And it was always like I grew up in the East Coast. So it was always something that was like not near me. Like I never even came across it. It was one of those things that was like 
over there. It was across the country or it was in the Midwest. And it was considered kind of like a dirty drug. Right. And then I had to look up dirty drug because I didn't understand what that meant. And my understanding of a dirty drug is one that kind of has far-reaching bad things, far-reaching consequences, if you will, in terms of the body. Like it affects, it can affect in random ways. Well, do you know is how that meth, right? Do you know how meth is created? No. Okay, so the active ingredient meth is uh, Sudafed, like cold medicine. Okay, okay. And they take that Sudafed and they process it with things like red phosphorus, which is found in dynamite, um, a kind of a laundry list of household cleaners, um, all sorts of stuff, uh, battery acid, and all that's used in the refining process of the Sudafed to get the crystal meth. Now, crystal meth didn't always exist before it was meth, and meth was like some weird chunky brown powder. And what I also mean by dirty drug is that it's like, it was considered to be a drug of the lower class. Right. It was like something okay. that like okay. you had rich people turning their noses up as they're sticking cocaine in it saying, oh, those people over there that do meth, I would never do that. Um, people kind of looked down upon meth use as being part of the lower class thing. It was, okay. like a, it was like a drug of the lower class. It was how it was considered societally. Okay. Now I have another question. Sure. Methamphetamine methadone. No connection. Nope, no connection. Just nope, the they're name. They're two opposite drugs. You Except me- for the fact that they both were developed by Nazis. They were both. Isn't that interesting, though? Yes. They're both developed by Nazis. And um, as someone that was raised Jewish, I automatically hate anything you know associated with Nazis. <laughs> um, well, exactly. And let's right. let's let's prop let's. Oh, I'm yeah. having trouble with my words. Let's keep it going. Let's keep the whole nightmare that was Nazi Germany. Let's keep it going by just keeping those drugs going. Well, that I mean, that's kind of what's happened. Um, you know, all those drugs came from that era. And yeah. so just to clear up for the audience, methadone is an opiate. Methamphetamine is an amphetamine. So, okay, so the, the M-E-T-H things, has nothing no, to do with it. No, okay, it just, that just has to do with this chemi- its chemical structure. So methadone actually does the opposite of what methamphetamine does. You know, methadone is, a, is a, it will slow you down. Right. And, meth- and methamphetamine will speed you up. Right. But, okay, so people looked at meth like it was a dirty drug. Okay. Um, it used to be called crank back in the day. I remember uh, the re- that. The reason they called it crank was because uh, motorcycle clubs would have their people transporting the drug and they would put it in the crank case of their motorcycle so they could hide it oh, wow. from the police. So if you they got know over- so much. So if they get... <laughs> So if they got pulled over, for, for all intents and purposes, the cops would never find it. So it, they got the nickname Crank. It was hmm. a, that's where it would be transported in. Um, and then later in the, in the 90s, ice came out. Now, ice is crystal meth. So basically what happened is they were able to figure out a, a different way to refine methamphetamine when they were making it mm-hmm. and turn it into crystals instead of a, a powder. And so the turning it into crystal methamphetamine it created a substance that's almost 100% pure, like pure methamphetamine. Like old meth, you had probably 60 to 70% meth, and the rest was all like other garbage right. that like, came through the, the creation of it. Crystal meth turned into a drug that's like between 95 and 199, 98% pure. It's hmm. a very, very pure drug. And so that started to infiltrate into the gay communities. Because with crystal meth, you got kind of a different high. It okay. became like a very sexually stimulating, a very sexually stimulating drug that would have you lose your inhibitions. You dance all night, you party, 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 um, and as soon as you come down, you just take a little bit more and you go back up. How did it, how did it get into the gay community? Well, was it introduced specifically? I, I mean- don't know if it was introduced specifically, like to the gay community. 
but they picked it up at some okay. point when crystal meth was created because it had different properties and did different things to the body that they liked, I guess. Okay. And so it became widely popular in, in the gay community and that also helped in the spreading of HIV because people would become uh, sexually... Promiscuous. Un- yeah, and yeah. uninhibited. Yeah. And so that's an effect of the drug. And so basically the drug made its way into the gay communities and the popularity of meth started to come back up. And it wasn't always a very popular drug. Like I said, it was only in certain parts of the country. Uh, it was pretty much used amongst the lower class. Um, like, like poverty level people would use it. Because um, it was cheap? It was cheap. Cheap to make? It was, it, you can make it your next door neighbor's house. Okay. You know, it was one of those things. And it just kind of got that stigma. And so once ice was – crystal meth is called ice. Okay. That's the nickname. Right. Because it looks like shards of glass or chunks of ice. Okay. And it's, it's like crystal clear. It's like a very odd-looking substance. Hmm. And so it made its way into the gay community. Now meth is picking up in popularity. Okay. So more and more of it's getting created. And so the, the government, DA, and different agencies see this happening. And so they start to make the ingredients to make meth harder to get. Okay. So that's why like when you go buy Sudafed, it's like behind a counter. They have to give, they give them your ID. You have to sign a thing that no one else reads, which basically says that you're not going to make meth with it. Right. And they can only give you a certain amount over a certain period of time. And all besides Sudafed, there's tons of other chemicals you need to get that you used to be able to get at a hardware store. Right. Now you can't get that stuff as much because they're trying to crack down on meth being used. Okay. So what, what do you think happens? It becomes more expensive. Uh, or you get it from other countries. Yeah, from other countries. You just import it. Right. So what happens is I gotta I gotta enter this in. That's what the guy makes in breaking bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, he starts a crystal meth lab. Right. Uh, okay. A chemistry teacher yeah. in school goes and makes crystal meth to pay for his cancer bills. Right. Right. Interesting. Okay, so now uh, we have to import it. Sorry. <laughs> so okay, so um the, the the making of meth was, you know, outsourced to Mexico. Mexico, you can get Anything you need to make meth easily, no matter what. So the cartels picked it up and the cartels started making meth and having their people make meth. And now they've transported it from Mexico through all the major hubs, the United States. So what happens was, or what happened was you spread the availability, the availability of meth across the U S across the U S. So you have it coming in through Miami, you have it coming in through Texas, you have it coming in through Arizona, you have it coming in through Colorado, do you know how Colorado, they, do you know how, California. Do you know how they bring it in? Do you know how it comes in? There's tons of different ways. Usually they're they're packaged and taped in different compartments in cars. And so the, a lot of times the uh, the Border Patrol can't find them. Can the drug dogs find them they usually? Can. Okay. They can. I mean, a lot of – most of the meth gets through, but a lot of it doesn't. A lot of it gets stop, stopped at the border. Okay. Um, but that's how it gets in. They, they jet boat it in. They fly it in. They do a whole – all sorts of different stuff. And they're always coming up with new creative ways. They'll even have something uh, – some uh, – person that ingest it in a balloon and they call them uh internal carriers and so they'll swallow a balloon full of the drug you know go in they'll pass it out the other end right and even those people get busted somehow they they figure it out that they're internally carrying Mm -hmm. you're in big trouble if if you get caught doing that you're in big, big 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 trouble yeah anyway so what this did was it made meth more widely available so now it's not a drug that's just available in the western u.s or the midwest now it's coming in through the east coast now, when I was an addict, I would never even heard of meth. Never came across it. Never saw it. It was never offered to me. Because that was what ten years ago? It was eleven years ago. Eleven years ago. And okay. so, you know, I grew up, you know, Massachusetts. I lived in Florida and all that stuff. I never came across it. 
And now you've got the entire East Coast of the United States has a huge meth problem because now the drug is picked up in popularity. Now, the, you said something before about um, the expense of the drug. It makes it cheaper or something. Meth no, I is, said maybe it made it more expensive if you have right. to import the stuff versus going down to your local hardware store and buying drain cleaner or whatever's in it. It's actually the opposite. Um, meth is really cheap. Okay. And meth is really cheap and it lasts a long time. And so people that used to do cocaine now do meth because you get more bang for your buck. Meth is one of those drugs that you do a really small line of it and you're up for an entire – that'll last you a 24-hour period almost. I mean that will keep you up for a very long time. Okay. So it's not just that the amount of product that you have lasts – well, it's the same thing. The high lasts longer. The high lasts longer. So you use less of it. You, You use less of it and so you have more money to keep buying it. Right. And so people that do meth are commonly up for about a week or a few days or to a week at a time, constantly redosing every time they come down because the come down from the drug is like severe. Right. So um, the blog I wrote talked about move over heroin, here comes meth, because you had heroin that wasn't a big deal until 20 years ago mm-hmm. when we had the uh, the pharmaceutical boom. Mm-hmm. And then people got hooked on uh, on heroin. Meth wasn't a drug that was ever like a really big problem you know, across the nation. Like I said, it was in certain areas. And so you didn't really have to worry about it infiltrating, you know, your schools or your towns or your neighborhoods or whatever. But now it's everywhere. It's blanketed the country. I would say that three quarters of the people that come into Narconon are hooked on meth as well as heroin because they're they're mixing them. Right. Something called a speedball. Uh, you shoot meth and heroin in the same syringe. So your body doesn't know whether to go up or down. So sometimes it just shuts off. It's scary. It's it's scary. Meth is a really scary drug because you don't know what a person is going to be like after five days of no sleep and constantly fueled by drugs. They're not eating. They're not drinking a lot of water. They're not sleeping. And they're constantly taking this really, really intense stimulant. Right. And so their behavior becomes like really erratic and sometimes violent and a lot of it scary. Wow. And so meth is a huge problem. I don't think people are realizing that because heroin and all the opiates get all the attention because, I mean, let's face it, opiates kill people every hour, right. multiple people. Right. Every hour, someone's dying in this country from opiates. And no one gives meth the attention I think it deserves because I thought about this when I wrote this blog is like, I think of the last 10 intakes, every one of those people was doing meth along with heroin or wow. opiates. Every one of them. Every one. And it used to be cocaine was a big deal. And that was the big thing. And that was what killed, you know, actors and famous people and, you know, other people across the nation um, when it was mixed with other drugs. But now you've got meth, which is a huge problem, but no one's paying attention to it. Huh. Because this was a drug that just re- recently, in the last few years, exploded as far as availability and use. You, I think I read a study by the National, Inst- the National Institute on Drug Abuse that said there's a really large population of kids starting at the age of 12 and a little bit older, they've all tried meth wow. as of 2015. So we got young kids trying this drug or being introduced to this drug. That's a, that's, a, that's a governmental survey. That's a study that was done that children as early as 12 are being offered meth and doing meth. And that's at, and super that was, scary. That was of two years ago. That's super scary. So it's probably higher now. It's got to be. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, if, I, if meth was around when I was a cocaine addict, I probably would have done it. Right. I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. But it's a na- it's a nasty, nasty drug. 
I mean, it's one of those drugs where you see people with their teeth rotting out. I was going to say, yeah, what are the long-term effects of something like methamphetamine? Depends how you take it. Okay. Um, you can eat it, you can smoke it, you can shoot it, and you can snort it. Okay. So depending on what your route of administration is, right. depends on what the effects you're going to have. Now, the people that you see losing their teeth from meth, those are IV users. Okay. You, I mean, smoking meth won't rot your teeth out. And snorting meth won't rot your teeth out as fast as injecting it because it goes right into your bloodstream. And meth, uh, part of what it does is also similar to methadone. It robs the body of uh, its nutrients and calcium. Right. And so you start having major, major, major multisystemic issues. Um, People on meth have their teeth rot out. uh, And also it causes very, very bad dry mouth. So the dry mouth is also something that contributes to teeth rotting. Hmm. Because if your mouth is constantly dry and you're not brushing your teeth or taking care of yourself – um, dry mouth itself causes tooth decay. Right. And so you've got people having major, major issues. Another one is uh, psychological issues are caused by meth. You've got long-term meth use will cause something that looks like paranoid schizophrenia. Hmm. The person that's hallucinating, hearing things, seeing things, and they're actually, you know, like crazy. Right. And so meth is a terrible, terrible drug that no one's paying attention to. Is everyone just wants to talk about opiates. Everyone wants to talk about big pharma and how that created the heroin problem. We've got heroin addicts dying. We need Narcan. There's Narcan-resistant fentanyl. And there's all these different analogs of this. And there's, you know, and it's like, hello, people. We've got a huge problem with meth right now. Right. And kids as early as 12 are trying it. So, like, anyone out there that's listening, like, your kids may have tried meth. And you need to ask them. You need to ask them. And if you're not sure... Will that show up in a drug test? Yes, absolutely. You so, can. I, you so can, they could contact Narcanon and they could find out how to do a drug test right. or bring them in for a drug test. Yvonne was saying you do that once a month. We do. Yeah. And we, so, do, we also train people over the phone. A lot of times parents will call and say, you know, I think my kid's on drugs. I don't know what to do. And my response is drug test. Them. Drug test. I'm right. And the next question is, well, how do I do that? Right. And so I'll train people on what to do. So I'll do a little bit real quick right now. So if anyone out there suspects a loved one, a family member, your kids or whatever is using drugs, you can go to Walgreens, you can go to CVS, or you can go to Walmart, and you can buy an at-home drug testing kit. And it kind of works like a pregnancy. It's a urine test. Okay. And it kind of works like a pregnancy test. So I always tell people, when you go into one of those stores, go back to the pharmacy counter and tell them what you want, and then they'll show you where it is on the shelf so you don't get the wrong thing. Right. Now, you can get tests that test for one drug only. Or you can get tests that test for five or seven drugs only. I always tell people, get the test that tests for the most drugs possible. Right, unless so you, you know for sure. So you can know. Yeah. So, I mean, if you get a test for cocaine, well, okay, at least they're not. you know if they're using cocaine or not. But they yeah, might be but. using MDMA or meth or marijuana or, or uh, opiates Helen or oxy, what have you. Whatever. Yeah. And so get a test that tests for all the major drugs of abuse. Now, Narconon, we do sell drug tests okay. um, for $12 a piece that test for 12 different things. And so that's a, that's a pretty good steal. And here's how they can call you. They can dial 1-877-339-3324. That's right. Oh, you memorized the number. I did. That's impressive. I'm really good with I numbers. I haven't done that either. I haven't, I haven't done that yet. That's right here. I looked at it there before you I go. did it. But, yeah, a, but so, it's a very good point. You yeah. know, it, you have to do that. If you, you have to stay vigilant as a parent. Absolutely. And if you suspect it, call that number. Get a drug test or go into Walmart and buy a drug test. Ask the pharmacist. And don't be embarrassed about it because you're going to be – you're going to feel way worse if you don't do something about it and your kid overdoses and dies. Right. And I always tell people, yeah, don't be embarrassed because you're probably one of seven other people. They're all there to buy drug tests. Right. Because it's not an unusual thing these days. It's not It's not like a like – um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
you're not like the first person in in, in thirty years to come right. in and buy a drug test. It's like people it's are not unusual. People are doing day. it because of the drug problem is so big in this country. That's right. And so I always tell people when they give their loved one a drug test, always make sure they go into the bathroom with them and they watch them pee into the cup because drug addicts are very crafty and a lot of them know how these tests work and they can do things to fool the test. Right. So mom, if you're, it's your son and you're worried about your son and your son is like, no way, mom, you're coming into the bathroom with me. Say, way, I am. I'm coming well, well, in. Mom shouldn't go, but dad could go. Well, then dad could go. Dad could go. Well, if that dad might wasn't home, weird. mom might do it anyway. Yeah, so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna watch you do it, but I'm gonna stand there while you do it. There you go. <laughs> and uh, the te- the tests almost work like a pregnancy test. So they they pull up the urine, and um, two line if you, each each they call them panels. Mm-hmm. So there's a panel on the test for each drug of abuse, and in the panel you can see the urine gets sucked up through it, and all of a sudden you'll see lines appear. If you see two lines, it's a negative result. If you see one line, it's a positive result. Interesting. Yeah. I would I would read that wrong, probably. Well, would, there's but, that little bit of training for you. Yeah. Okay, good. And for everyone else out there that doesn't who hasn't ever done a drug test. Right. Because a lot of parents have never been put in this position before at the point where they call and they're like, well, how do I do this? I have to be able to walk them through it. Right. Because then that could be someone that may require Narconon, that may require rehab services or, or just help in general. And maybe you can have them come to Narcanon before it's bad. I mean, like really bad. Right. You don't want it to get really bad if it doesn't have to. Exactly. You know, there's a whole idea of like, oh, well, they have to hit rock bottom before they can really get help. And I tell some people, rock bottom for some people is dead. Exactly. <laughs> some so, people, so you don't want to go that far. Some people, anything above death is not a bottom for them. Once they're dead, I mean... That's what it is for some people. So I always tell people, they don't have to hit rock bottom. That's not necessary. Um, the good thing about Narconon is it clears your head up enough to make an actual decision that you want to live your life clean of drugs. Right. So if you're not initially like super excited about going to rehab or super excited about giving up drugs, at some point in the program, you get to a point where you have this realization that you survive better without them than you do on them. Right. And that's the point that's where a big person, deal. And that's the point where a person can get real help. Yeah, that's a big deal. You know, and so... Because as we've said over and over and over again, drugs are the solution to a problem. They are. And, and they're a workable solution. And so the addict, why would you get rid of a workable solution? If you have something that works, why would you do that? I mean, it doesn't really work, but from their viewpoint, it works. Right. And so to them, it's illogical to go to treatment. Exactly. But like I said, the good thing about the program is that it helps to clear your mind enough and make you feel physically better enough to a point where you might say, huh, okay, they're on to something. <laughs> maybe, maybe life is better not getting high. Right. And so that's part of what we deal with, you know. Like I said, I was the kind of addict I was like kissing the floor when I got in. So I was so excited to be like off the streets and off what I was doing and like, you know, take me in for a while, clean me up and dust me off and I'll be fine. Um, but a lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people are like, I'm not interested in any of this. That's when interventions are necessary and stuff like that. But rock bottom isn't necessary. As long as you can get a person to agree to go to treatment at some point, it's better than saying, well, let's just wait until it gets real bad for them. Because then they'll have no choice other than to go to rehab. And right. a lot of times that's not real. That's not like a realistic thing. Yeah. Like a lot parents should not allow their kids to hit rock bottom before attempting to get them help because like I said before, for some of them, rock bottom is dead. And that is something that no two parents ever get over. Right. Parents don't get over the death of their child. That's right. It doesn't happen. Parents are permanently scarred. 
Is that is not the way the sequence of life goes. The sequence right. of life is that you bury your parents and that your kids bury you and it kind of just goes like that right. and that's what we're used to. Right. But when parents have to bury their kid, especially because of something that could have been completely preventable, it's scarring mm-hmm. and it, it, it doesn't heal well. You're right. You're right. And it no is. no parent should ever have to go through the fact of their child dying and them saying, man. What else could we have done? We should have tried harder. We should have got them in the treatment. We should have done all these things. I tell parents, you should do all those things. At least try. Right. Don't just let them like do their thing until they've had enough. And then when they're all like and beat up and battered, yeah. they've overdosed 17 times. Then they go to treatment because all every addict is like one snort, one smoke, one shot away from dying. Right. You don't know when that's going to happen. That's right. And it doesn't happen like... You know, it, it's an accident. You don't mean to do it. No one. There's a few people out there that try to check out like that, and they're suicidal. But for the most part, addicts don't use drugs with the intent of killing themselves. Right. It just ends up happening because when you're putting all those poisons in your system, at some point your body is going to give up. It's going to say, "I'm done. I'm right. tapping out. Right. I can't take this anymore." And that's what happens. So you never know when that last dose is going to do it. Yep. So parents really need to be like real vigilant about like. Okay, there's a pinpoint. We pinpointed a problem. We pinpointed a solution. Now we're going to move from A to B. Right. And, and as I've said many, many times to parents who are listening, don't take it as a personal failure on your part. And don't take it as, oh, I'm too embarrassed. And also don't have the viewpoint, this could never happen to me. This could never happen to my child. Because if you have that viewpoint or you think, oh, it's all about you, then you're not going to take the right action. You're not going to take action when it's necessary. And you do have to be constantly vigilant. You just do. You can never, ever let your guard down on something like that. And if you suspect it, you need to jump on it. Absolutely. And it's because drug use is so rampant these days, saying the whole, it's never going to be my kid, it's never going to happen to us, it's never going to happen to my family. That's not a logical thing. That's not a logical thing to think because... What are the statistics? How many? I don't, I don't know what it is off bat, but it's like... It's huge. It, I, I should look that up next time before we talk. The statistics of like... Yeah, like one in whatever. Right. It, it's, it's high. Yeah. It's very high. It's higher than it's ever been. Right. So thinking that'll never happen to you is like that's that's asinine. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it will. It's it's very it's very apparently obvious that it can very likely happen well, to anybody. And now we're going around and legalizing marijuana in all these states. Guess what? It's going to be even more likely. It's going to happen. You know. And marijuana is a gateway drug. If anybody out there would like to disagree with us, feel free. To oh, email us or call us. I'm going to get some it hateful phone calls. It is a gateway drug. I don't care. It's a gateway drug. It was for me. Yeah. It was the first drug I, it was the first drug I ever tried. And the other people at Norganon, you, you said or Yvonne said, a Most lot of, of the them people there started, started on, on marijuana. marijuana. Well, Derek told his story. And how did he start? 12 marijuana. years old, introduced to marijuana. Right. At a Cub Scout meeting. That's right. Or Boy Scout meeting. Boy Scout hey. camping trip oh, in that's what it Canada. Was trip that's yep. what it was yep. so to backtrack a little bit yeah meth is a huge problem people need to start paying attention to it because this is going to be the next drug epidemic we have the opiate epidemic now meth's going to be the next it's gearing up to be the next one right it's it, all all it's like the perfect storm is happening mm-hmm. you've got it being cheaply produced being cheaply sold it's widely available everywhere and it's being used in conjunction with with opiates and so this is going to be the next big problem in my own prediction 
Wow. Because I saw it happen with opiates. Right. You had the perfect storm happen, and then we had this huge epidemic. The same thing's happening with meth, and no one's paying attention to it that I can tell. Right. Because all the sto- I read a lot of news stories and do a lot of research and addiction. Everything talks about opiates, and everyone needs to wake up to the fact that there's a huge meth problem. Right. Now, I know that, like, with Chris Cornell, and I think we talked about him briefly, yeah. and I know my son was talking about him, too. His wife is talking to him on the phone. And he started to slur his words. This right. is what my son said. And she got concerned that there was something going on with him. Right. And then she had someone check in and he had committed suicide. Right. What would a parent look for? Now, that's opiates, right? That's- no, he was on Ativan. But is that not an op- Oh, no, that's, that's a... a- benzo- that's a benzo. Okay. That benzo stands for benzodiazepines, a class of drugs that are known as tranquilizers. Anxiety drugs. It's drug. an anti-anxiety drug. Anti-anxiety. So it's like Valium, Clonopin, Ativan, Xanax... Okay. They're all the same. Okay, but she got a clue when he started sounding funny. Right. What would a parent look for in their kids if they're – what would be some of the indicators if their kids were experimenting with meth? Okay. So the first thing is very dilated pupils. So the pupils are big. Big. Okay. So constricted would be small. Dilated would be they're very, very – their pupils are very, very large. As with any drug use, you want to look for changes in behavior mm-hmm. and changes of normal patterns and habits and routines. But that's a good one right there. The pre- pupils are very large. I mean, yeah. we all know if you're in a dark room, your pupils are going to get bigger. But if you're if you're you and your kid are in a lit room, there's plenty of light, and your kid's pupils are huge. Yeah, there's also talkativeness. Mm-hmm. I'm talking in kind of a circle where things don't really make a lot of sense, and the person keeps talking and talk. it's like incessant talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see. Um, <laughs> On the streets, we called it jaw jacking. It's when your your lower jaw kind of goes back and forth, like your like your teeth are grinding almost. Huh. And that's a that's a effect of the speed. And you've also got dry mouth. You've got insomnia. You've got extreme irritability. You've got extreme amounts of energy. Um, the person is in a completely euphoric, sped up state for a chronic per, per, like a chronic period of time, mm-hmm. followed by a huge crash where they sleep for a few days. And loss of appetite, weight loss, um, extreme thirst. Yep. Those are all signs that something's going on. Also, for again, generally, if the person becomes withdrawn from family, their habits and normal routines change. They start having trouble with money. They start losing jobs. They start having sores on their face because they're picking at it and mm. they're doing all these things. Those are indicators of a problem. Okay. So more – I think it's more important that parents obviously know what the indicators of meth use are, but also the indicators generally of drug use. Right. So you can at least notice that something is happening. Right. But meth is very apparent. You know, people stay busy on projects that make no sense. They'll pull apart the TV looking for the the bug in it, uh, the micro, <laughs> the hidden microphone or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's very apparent. When they're on meth, it's not something that's hidden very well. Like opiates, you can do small amounts of opiates at the beginning and pass as being completely sober. Mm-hmm. You'll feel euphoric and the whole high, but no one will be able to notice. Right. Unless they really look at you uh, and know what to Unless look for. Unless they know you well. Unless they know you Parents, well. Parents, you know, know your yeah. kids well. So, yeah. But meth use is one of those drugs that's like, oh, wow, okay, so something weird's happening. Right. Um, and meth is extremely psychiat- psychologically and physically addictive. Okay. Because psychologically, you get really, really bad cravings. And when you're up for so long, when you come down, the come down is so extreme and so depressing and so just, they, it's one of the worst feelings I've heard. Does it cause suicides? Are there lots of suicides from I'm that? not sure about that. Okay. I'm not sure if there's a lot of suicides, but the come down is pretty extreme as far as 
uh, the depression, the irritability, and just, just the lack of feeling good. Um, and so they constantly redose and go back up so they don't have to fight that come down. Same way opiate addicts don't want to get the withdrawals right. from opiates. And they right. keep taking opiates to stave off the withdrawals. And so it's very psych- psychologically and physically addicting drug. And so the best thing to do is that any parents notice these signs and symptoms in their child or their loved one or whoever, you need to get a drug test. And I'll tell you this. If anyone ever refuses a drug test, they're hiding something. Right. So – I would have no problem seven days a week, any time that someone wants to give me a drug test, it's like no problem. I've right. got nothing going on, so I'm not hiding anything. Right. A person will not give a drug screen if they're afraid they're going to be caught yep. on something. So yep. if parents out there offer a drug test to their, their loved ones and they say, oh, no, and they swear up and down, and they're not doing anything, and how dare you ask me to do this, and you're not my boss and all this, they're hiding something. Exactly. You know – one of the things I just got from everything you were saying, and I think this is key for parents, you know your children. You've raised your children from a baby. If you see a major change in their attitude or behavior or their emotional state, it's something you need to investigate. Yeah. Now, you know, you got a daughter, she's had a boyfriend, they break up, she's going to be depressed. No question. Okay, some of that stuff is going to happen. But if, if there's a major change, and you can't pinpoint the reason for it, and it's not fixing, I think that would be a major indicator that you should check something out. Just check it out. You yeah, know, there's no what's going on. No, you know, and it's one of those things you hear all the time, your kid is going to think, Oh, my goodness, my mom cares about me, because she's trying to find out what's going on. Now, if your kid is hiding something, they're not going to want you to ask. And you'll, get, get. and you'll get that indicator, mom, leave me alone. Everything's fine. Why are you bugging me? At which point you go, I want you to do a drug test. And if everything's okay, your kid, as you said, would go, okay, fine. I don't care. Right. You know, but if they're like, no way I'm going to do a drug test, you got to pull that string. I mean, you know, that I would pick up the phone and call Narconaut at that point because I don't know that I personally would know how to handle something like that if that happened with my kids, but I would pick up the phone and call and say, I need help because, yeah. because there's something not right here and I, you know, I'm not able to handle it. And we're there to support the families. And that's the deal. You know, I mean, you, you, you can, you know, you can go to Narcan on suncoast.org and talk to Sarah in the chat, or you can call that number, that 877-339-3324 number and it's an anonymous call. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to give your location. But you can talk to somebody that's there to help you because that's that's why the guys at Narcanon are there. They're there to help you. And we'll do it continuously on a daily basis until we help as many people as we possibly can. Exactly. And, and I so. can tell you, I've been down there and these guys are amazing. And every single graduate that I have seen goes through every single staff member at Narcanon thanking them for their part in that addict getting clean. I mean, every single one. You know, you were talking before about parents or loved ones saying, oh, I'm going to wait till they hit rock bottom and how rock bottom can be death. I would love it if at some point we could get Lori on and have Lori tell her story. That would be cool. Because this is, we've talked about her before. She flatlined for what, like 20 minutes? It was 20 minutes, 22 minutes, something like that. 22 minutes flatlined and came back from that. You know, don't let it get that bad because your loved one might do the 22 minutes and not come back. So she's a miracle story and then found Narcanon and now she's, now she's a beautiful, clean, beautiful woman. 
There you go. Okay, so the second subject we were going to talk about today was something that I read it and I went, what the heck is that? It sounds Hawaiian <laughs> because I spent a good deal of my growing up years in Hawaii. Opana. Opana. Well, like, it's Opana. Opana, but like there's a there's a place nearby called Ohana Cafe. So well, there it's like, you Opana, go. what's that? So we only have a couple minutes left, but I'll go into this real quick. No, we got um, plenty of time. Okay, good. So Opana, okay, so what Opana is, it's a very, very addictive synthetic opiate. Hmm. Okay, let's start there. Is it medical? Like, is it a prescription? It has medical, it has medical implications. It's, um, it's a drug that's used for end-of-life pain, for terminal illness. And, of course, as with any other opiate, the doctors began, began over-prescribing it. Right. To the point where it got in the hands of dealers, it got sold on the streets. And uh, this drug was approved in, by the FDA in 2006 for its use. Okay. In 2012, the, uh, the makers of... Uh, Opana, which is called end- endopharmaceuticals, saw the rise in abuse of their drug that addicts were buying them on the streets or getting them from their doctors or crushing them up and snoring them, getting all whacked out. Mm-hmm. And so that you got a new type of addict, you had the Opana addict. And the drug's been around for, you know, quite a while. And so what endopharmaceuticals did in 2012, they reformulated the drug so you couldn't break it up. You couldn't, like, crush it as easily and snort it. But what addicts did was they found a way to shoot the drug. To melt it? To melt it down and shoot it. So what that did was all of a sudden it spiked the amount of people shooting Opana. And Opana was linked – the IV Opana use, I don't know too much about this, was linked to a 2015 huge HIV outbreak in Indiana. Wow. Somehow the, the, the drug got kind of some sort of notoriety at that time because there was like a whole ring of people that all like gave each other HIV through sharing needles after shooting Opana specifically. Hmm. I don't know too much else about it. But amid the whole opiate epidemic right now, um, the FDA wants to pull Opana from the market. Wants to yank it off and say no more. That we made a big mistake. We should not have approved this drug. We need to get rid of it. And I was I was a little dumbfounded by that. Because I was like, whoa, it's the FDA that approved it in the first place. And now the FDA is going, you know what? This drug is probably not a good idea. Because there is a huge number of people that shoot Opana now. Right. And to give to give our listeners some sort of um scale to scale it by. There's a drug called Dilaudid. Have you heard of Dilaudid? Yes. Very strong drug. That's hydromorphone. Okay. Okay. Opana is oh, Dilaudid's kind of big brother. It's oxymorphone. So okay. it's the same difference between hydrocodone, which is Vicodin, and oxycodone, which is Percocet. Ox- the oxy version is a lot stronger. Is that because of the oxy, which I'm assuming is oxygen or I that? No clue. Okay. I have no idea. Um, but oxymorphone, which is a pan, is extremely addictive, extremely strong. Overdoses do happen. And so the FDA, looking at the state of affairs with the opiate crisis, is like, we need to take this off the market. And uh, I so thought- So the question becomes, what did they do to study it in the first place to ever approve it? No clue. Nada. Probably nada. I, it, no it, idea. I just thought it was really interesting because this is the first time the FDA has ever attempted to pull an opiate painkiller off the market. Huh. This is a little monumental occasion. Okay. They've never tried to do this before. Now, the FDA has obviously in the past you know, pulled things that they've approved previously, but this is the first time that they've actually tried to pull an opiate painkiller off the market saying this poses a major risk 
a major public health risk to our society. Wow. Is what they said. Um, keeping this drug out in the market could be very dangerous for our society. And well, so I would say bully for the FDA if it weren't for the fact that they approve all of this crap anyway and then yeah. won't approve like healthy alternatives, you know. So Yeah, I just thought I thought it was a really interesting yeah. thing. I wrote a blog about it because I said, you know, a lot of times some bad decisions are made mm-hmm. and some wrong decisions are made. But every now and then a good decision, a good action kind of comes down the line and, and, and someone someone somewhere in our government will do the right thing. And okay, I good. Think, so the FDA is doing the right thing. I think the FDA is doing okay. the right. I absolutely think they're doing the right thing because they're saying, okay, look, this this stuff is obviously proving to be a problem. We've got a ton of people shooting it up. We've got a, an HIV outbreak in 2015 solely attributed to the, HI, the, the HIV, the IV usage of Opana. Maybe this is something that we can pull off the market so it doesn't pose such a public health risk. Right. And so I, I, I almost applauded the FDA for that. But it's like, okay, good. They finally did something productive well, for us. Okay, we'll give them that. It, was a, them that. it was a good idea. Yeah. I mean, they have to pull this stuff. And, and do you think it was connected with the fact that, uh, that not only were people getting addicted to Opana, but, they, but there was also the HIV outbreak? You think it was a, because there was a combination of both? Well, one was attributed to the other. I don't know too right. much about the HIV outbreak in Indiana in 2015, but I do know that it was centered around people that were using Opana. Okay. And I did. I didn't count my research. But, I didn't really go deeper into that. But did the FDA like? Did the, is that what they cited? That yeah, not they, only do we have Opana, we also have the this HIV problem. Now, the HIV problem. The use of it. Yeah. So okay. that that was cited in the article, and the article I read was put out by CNN. Okay. And so this is actually like a big story that the what, about what the uh, what the FDA is doing. I think it's a great thing. I think it's a step in the right direction. At least that's, that's true. That's true. I think it's a definite step in the right direction. I don't know if we can attribute it to the new administration, but. Maybe we can. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? All I know is that they saw something that you know needed to change, and they actually took a step to change it. And so they've demanded endopharmaceuticals to you know stop selling the stop selling the drug, pull it off the shelves. We're done with this. And so, if that's the direction we could continue to go, we might start to nip this thing in the bud a little bit. Yep. So. I thought that was a really interesting thing. Um, I think it's a good story. And I was happy. I started to look I, at that. I was yeah. actually happy about it. So good. That, that's good. a good. We can end everything on we'll a positive end on a happy note happy this notes. week. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for coming over again today, Jason. And we're going to keep talking about this. We have some interviews upcoming in future mm-hmm. weeks, which should be should be good. I'm excited. Okay. I'll see ya. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.